2: This is the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki. Hello,
1: hello, hello. It's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. And today we have a fantastic program. The question I ask you is, are you following the herd? You know, the herd generally goes off the cliff like a bunch of lemmings. You know, how many are doing what your mommy and daddy told you what to do? go to school, get a job, invest in a well-diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs. Is that what you're doing? Are you hoping that the next person elected, whether it's President Trump or one of the other candidates, will save the economy? Well, we have a very important show for people like you because this program is about, you have to do the exact opposite of what everybody else is doing. Because if you keep doing what everybody's doing, I'm afraid everybody's going to go off the cliff and that cliff is not too far away right now. So we're a very special guest today, very credible individual. His name is John Del Vecchio and he's an in-house stock market guru and he's a forensic accountant, my new favorite words, because there's a lot of fraud going on and I have to hire some forensic accountants to like to look around who the, who are the termites inside of my own company. So forensic accountants have a very important role in any entrepreneur's business. But most importantly, our guest is the forensic accountant for Dent Research. And for those who do not know who Harry Dent is, Harry Dent is one of the biggest forecasting gurus of all time. So he's he's not always right, but he does believe he's right. <laughs> he, has some, <laughs> he has some interesting things to say. So every time I listen to Harry, I was, you know I've had dinner with him a number of times. I love just sitting next to him. I don't have to say a thing. It's a one-way conversation. (laughs) I just sit there (laughs) and I just listen to him. And that guy is so off the wall, but he expands the way I think. Because if you and I do not expand our vision, our horizons, our points of view, we go off the cliff like everybody else is gonna go off the cliff. So our guest today is John Del Vecchio. He is author of a brand new book called Unbounded Wealth. Dedicated to the mom and pop investor, if you're mom and pop, please listen up. He lays out twelve simple steps of how to break free of the man and live life on your own terms. And that's what we say at Rich Dad. You know, have you, have you doing what mommy and daddy told you to do? We just go to school, get a job, you know, work hard, retire, and die. So, John, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Robert. It's great to be with you today. What's my description of my friend, Harry accurate?
3: <laughs> I love going to dinner with Harry too. Yeah, it's it's usually a one-way conversation. Sometimes <laughs> I get a bit, that but um, yeah, it's fun times. That's for sure. I love yeah. hanging out with him when I get the chance.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not boring, you know, and I hate going to dinner, well, no. how are you doing? What, you know, what do you think, you know, and all this, how the kids. <laughs> You know, Harry is out there. I mean, he's got some tin foil on top of his head, tuned into the Martians or something. I don't know what the heck he's doing, but
3: <laughs> <laughs> no filter. It's not politically correct, that's for sure. No, it's and he,
1: he says some things that just you know blow my eyeballs out. I'm going, what if it's true? Do <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, every time I talk to him, I you was know, just reading. I forget his last book, but I was just amazing. And it opens my mind up, and I can ask Harry questions, and then I sit and listen for another two hours. (laughs) That sounds right. That sounds right. So, John, (laughs) give us a little bit of your background, please.
3: Well, Robert, uh, you mentioned I'm a forensic accountant. That's just a fancy phrase for uh, reading financial statements and finding where management teams are trying to stick their hand in the cookie jar. There's a lot of that
1: going on, isn't there?
3: A lot of it. Yeah, I came of age, I started my career in the late 1990s on Wall Street when the internet bubble was kind of at its peak. And I saw that it was going to be a multi-trillion dollar disaster. It took me about two years to figure that out. And so I went to the dark side, which is I shorted stocks, meaning I bet against them. And I had cut my teeth at a forensic accounting research firm that sold research to every major hedge fund and mutual fund complex uh, around the United States, probably the most successful independent research firm in the history of Wall Street. And that's where I, you know, learned the basics. And, um, I started managing a fund in 2002 to short tech stocks rolled that into another fund that took advantage of the financial crisis in 07, 08 and into 09 and managed a hedge fund there and then converted that into an exchange traded fund and then went to go work with Harry in 2015, I guess. So it's been about five years, but that's the basics of what I do. And the most recent book, as you mentioned, Unbounded Wealth is really for the mom and pop person. Um, It's not very technically oriented. Should be able to read it in a couple hours. I hired an illustrator, so it's got cartoons in there to make it fun and interesting Um, and really what I'm trying to do is get the average person to save, invest, um, really get on a path to financial independence because the average person is so far behind and it's a very dangerous place that we're headed to in this country and I don't want to see that happen to to most people.
1: Yeah, is this deja vu all over again, 2008?
3: So the difference, I've been through two of them and um, really, you know, my career took off because of crisis. And I have probably made bigger returns during crisis than any other time period. So it's not necessarily a negative thing, but I'll tell you why I think this next one's going to be a doozy when it happens and much worse than the other two and how it's different. In the late 1990s, it was mostly driven by technology stocks. So if you weren't invested in tech stocks, you actually did quite poorly. There were essentially a a bear market in non-tech stocks. So when it finally crashed, it mostly crashed in technology stocks. In 2007-2008, in that time frame, I mostly focused on banks and companies that were mortgage lenders and related to real estate in areas like Arizona, Florida, and California, uh, Las Vegas, that were highly inflated. The problem today is it's sort of an everything bubble because we didn't address the issues in 2008. We just kicked the can down the road. And so what happened was almost all asset classes have become inflated, and there may be very few places to hide when it does turn. And so when you look at a lot of metrics of the stock market, they're at all time high levels, valuations, market sentiment to very extreme right now. And the longer it goes, the more pain will be felt on the other side. And eventually we will have a bear market. I don't know when that'll be, but it'll be pretty nasty. The good news is it'll create an opportunity to generate massive amounts of wealth uh, as that's playing out. And then the market eventually begins to rebound. So let me ask
1: you this. Okay. Sure. Like 2008, you know, I thought I died. I went to heaven, you know, cause we're real estate people. I'm not mm-hmm. in the stock market. Okay. And as the markets crashed, it was frightening, obviously, but I was taking laps around the grocery bead, saying, you know, thank you, Jesus, man, I tell you, best real estate. <laughs> I live in Arizona and the best real estate in the world was going for peanuts. Yep. And on top of that, the federal reserve bank was dropping interest rates. So the prices were coming down of real estate and the prices of money were coming down. My concern, this next one coming, who knows when it's coming of course, Harry does, but we don't, but right. <laughs> when it hits, you know what they say, the Fed's out of bullets. I mean, our interest rates are at all- time low, prices are at all-time highs. And for those who may not know and understand the term it's called the everything bubble. It's because they dropped interest rates to sub-zero in many countries. It blew everything into a bubble. So that's why real estate's high, stocks are high, bond market's high. I don't know what else is high out there, but everything's high. And I don't know if you read Nazim Talib's book, you know, the um, anti-fragile and the Black Swan. Uh-huh. This next one that comes down, how we're going to recover? See, you know, when we're out of bullets. I mean, how if they're already at zero,
3: what are they going to do? And interest rates. It's a very dangerous situation. So imagine you were in a coma for 10 years and you just woke up and someone told you that the stock market's up 450% from the crisis lows, unemployment's at 3.5%, tax rates have been cut both at a corporate and a personal income level? And then what would you expect interest rates to be? A reasonable person might say five or 6% and somewhere in that range, maybe. And um, you're right, obviously, they're negative in a lot of countries. And they're very low here in the United States. What's interesting is the expectations are that they'll continue to be negative or very low for decades. And um, that is a fear that there are no bullets left to address the situation when the time comes to essentially make money cheap again. Yeah. So, John, so let me ask you this question. Look, you know, one of the tenants of Rich
1: Dad Porta, which came out, you know, in 1997, was savers or losers. And the reason is because how can you, why would you save money when the government's QEing it, quantitative easing it, printing it, and interest rates kept dropping? So that's why I, I became a gold bug in 72. I've done pretty good on that. I don't save cash. I save gold and silver, but how can people save money? You know, that the person who's following mommy and daddy's advice of get a job, work hard and save, 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 save. when When the banks are going to charge you money to save.
3: Right. So I save money to the extent that looking to put it to work in opportunities to generate, capital gains over a period of time. Everybody, I want you to listen to that. See, that's, there are people um, of
1: my generation, I remember when we had, we could get 15% interest. Right. You know, And people were taking out CDs, certificates of deposits, and they'd put a million dollars in there and collect 150K a year, and you were home, you know, playing golf. Yep. But the average, this is the thing about you do, exactly opposite of what everyone else is doing you have a million dollars today, you put it in the bank, they're gonna charge you money to keep it there.
3: So what does the saver do? Right, so that principle that you're referring to, I talk about my book, Unbounded Wealth, is called the George Costanza Principle. So if you've ever watched the show Seinfeld, George is a character on there who, gets in a pickle just about every episode. And there's one episode where he decides to do the exact opposite of everything that he's ever, you know, inclined to do in his life. And so goes to lunch, he orders a different kind of lunch, meets this beautiful woman because of that, tells her that he's unemployed and lives with his parents and she falls in love with him. Then he goes, tells George Steinbrenner that he ruined the Yankees, Steinbrenner hires him. Uh, you know, to work for the Yankees. And my point is that if you're doing what everybody else does, you're going to get what everyone else gets, which is mediocre performance in the markets, and you're not going to be in the top 1%. If you start to do the opposite, you have a good chance. So the lowest allocation ever to stocks in the history of the United States was March of 2009. That was the time to get aggressively bullish because everyone else was right. bitching about the broker and their stock returns. So my point about saving is keeping some – fresh powder at opportunities to make huge returns when everyone else is, you know, capitulating and essentially jumping out the window or flashing their wrists.
1: You're not counting on cash to be
3: an asset. No, I, I, um, as to acquire assets. I own a significant amount of gold myself. Uh, Gold had, obviously had a huge run from about 2002 to 2011. You know, commodities work in very big cycles. I know that Harry's very bearish on that, but you know, gold is traded relative to something else. So if the dollar were to collapse, 50% and gold were to go down 20%, well gold actually appreciated in value relative to the dollar. Gold has done phenomenally well relative to the Euro, to the British pound. I think the Euro is kind of a joke, is a construct. So gold has done tremendously well. and It's
1: also done extremely well to the S and P, you know, because in 2000, gold was down to like 200 bucks an ounce. Again, I thought I died and went to heaven. Right. And I just backed up, but everybody was getting out of gold. This is the point. And this is why I ask you to you know, you understand Talib's book about anti-fragile. The bigger the market, the more fragile it is. And the lower the market, the more anti-fragile it is. At that point, there's that song, I can see clearly now. That's why I love crashes, is because then you can see through the dust. Does that make sense to you? And that's what you hold cash for. But I don't hold cash to save. No,
3: me neither. So in the remnants of a, of a crisis, there will be plenty of opportunities to buy assets at bargain levels. And that's because most people do the wrong thing at the wrong time. So they buy a $700,000 house in 2006 when they make, 50 grand a year, or, and you know, the bank doesn't even ask them to verify their income. So as soon as I heard about no doc loans, I was licking my chops. Now it took about four or five years for this to play out. The, how I knew that the crisis was coming was I tracked something called mortgage equity withdrawals, which was the amount of money that people were pulling out of the equity in their home because the home was appreciating and then buying things like Cadillac Escalades and blowing it on. Oh, what a great
1: idea that is, man. I tell you, Hey, uh, John, we're going to need to take a break, but everybody wants you to listen to what John is saying, his topic is to do exactly the opposite of what everyone else is doing. And I remember those days when people were pulling out the equity in the home in their homes. I don't know what the heck they were doing, they're smoking it or something. But they're the people that went broke and then they get angry at the rich. You know, when they're the stupid ones because they're doing as they are told. When we come back. We're talking more about John Delvecchio about what you can do that's opposite of what the herd is doing. We'll be right back.
2: Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. Hey,
0: Rich Dad listeners, it's Rob, the producer of the Rich Dad Radio Show. Do you know the question that Robert and Kim are asked most? I have $500, what should I do with it? It's a frustrating question because most people cannot do what Robert and Kim do, and that is invest in large multifamily apartments. Here's the problem. That type of real estate investing requires a level of wealth that takes most of us out of the game. However, there is a way for anybody to do it, and it's called Fundrise. Fundrise. Fundrise is an online real estate investing platform allowing investors of all levels to purchase and create high quality real estate portfolios and ultimately reap the long term cash flow and value creation benefits historically provided by private market real estate. Through their cutting-edge technology and low-cost model, Fundrise enables you to instantly access hundreds of high-quality, high-potential, private-market real estate projects from high-rises in D.C. to multifamily apartments in L.A., all handpicked by Fundrise's in-house team of professionals. But now, no matter what kind of investor you are, Fundrise makes it simple to build a more perfect portfolio. So are you ready to get started? Visit fundrise.com slash that's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash to have your first three months of fees waived. Again, that's fundrise.com slash debt.
2: Don't be like Charlie. Charlie is that do-it-yourselfer who does himself in. Do-it-yourself is good for tile and grout. It is not good for asset protection. Charlie thought he'd save a few dollars forming his LLC online. With no guidance, he did it wrong. When he sold the property, he lost thousands and thousands of dollars. He did himself in by trying to do it himself. Don't burn yourself. Use Corporate Direct to set up and maintain your LLCs and corporations. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Garrett wrote the bestsellers, Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. He is Robert Kiyosaki's attorney for asset protection he and his team will do it right. Visit them at CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off your formation fee. That's CorporateDirect.com, CorporateDirect.com. Welcome
1: back, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. You can listen to the Rich Dad Radio Program anytime, anywhere on iTunes or Android and YouTube. And you can, and please leave a review wherever you listen. Cause we don't know what we're saying makes any sense to you or you don't care about it. To hear our podcast again, you know we archive all of our podcasts for one big reason is because we're an education company. We make no recommendations, even though I say I, I buy gold, not saying you should buy gold. So think for yourself, but we archive it because repetition is how we learn. If you listen to this program one more time, your brain cells may find new life and some breath a fresh air in there. So go to listen to this podcast again with your friends, family and business associates at richdadradio.com and ask them, are you doing the things your mommy and daddy told you to do? And do you have a social medic? So that's what we're here for. just to challenge the way you think. That's why it's a good news and bad news about money. So our guest today is John Del Vecchio. He's an in-house stock market guru and forensic accountant for Dent Research we recently had to hire forensic accountants and attorneys to investigate my own company here. Cause we're going to find out what really went on. So it's, it's going on all over. You know, I just finished a book, John called, uh, who stole my pension and it's, it's with a forensic attorney and he investigates pensions and he decided it was much more lucrative to be a whistleblower than to be an attorney. <laughs> That's right. He he was just awarded, I think somewhere between 30 and $40 million last year because Mm -hmm. Wall Street has been looting the pensions of all the public servants. But Wall Street is doing the same thing to the 401k. So that's my plug in my book It's called Who Stole My Pension? And if you're a baby boomer or you have a friend or a family member who is about to retire, who who stole my pension is a big one to read because you got to get prepared for what's going on. Because the subject of today's talk is are you doing exactly what your mommy and daddy told you to do? Are you counting on that retirement? Are you counting on that pension? Are you saving money? Are you investing for the long-term in the well-diversified portfolio in the stock market? Do you have a job? Are you sending your kids back to school? That's doing the same old thing. That's why I wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad because my rich dad never did any of those things. And the reason I can think differently, not that one is right or wrong, but I can see both sides of a three-sided coin, heads, tails, and the edge. So our guest to the end is John Del Vecchio, forensic accountant, and he's a very important job of looking who's stealing the money. So John, you know, if everybody right now is sitting there, they have a job, you know, they're saving money, and they're investing for the long-term in a well-diversified portfolio, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs. What would you say to them?
3: Uh, well, I would probably hold their hand and pray with them and hope that <laughs> the trends are going to continue um, because the stock market's at very stretched levels valuation-wise. It's all-time um, high. All-time from, high. All-time highs, yeah, from History. price to sell. Basis, cyclical PEs very scary. Profit margins have maxed out at companies. Revenues have stagnated. Really, the big drivers have been stock buybacks, which are actually expected to be down five percent in 2020. So that could be a win.
1: Let me explain that to people. I was having dinner. I live in a fairly exclusive area in South Carolina, and I was having dinner. And the boy, the talk around the office, everybody loves Donald, you know, because the stock market is up. I said, "What do you think?" I said. Well, not only is the stock market up, but the only reason is up because the bond market is up. Don't you get the relationship? And these people had no idea what I was talking about. It's corporate credit that's gonna blow this market apart. These guys are very smart, rich people, but they made their money as good, hardworking accountants, attorneys, and investors and all this stuff. But they had no idea what I was talking about with corporate credit and the bond market. This is the everything bubble. Their properties are high, they're high, they're drinking like fish. And they're highest kites right now.
3: What do you want to say to them, John? Well, you're right. So without naming names of specific companies so kind of don't want to get into that and bad mouth, anybody specifically, but what's kind of happening in, in the market as a whole is that you have companies that are taking on billions of dollars in debt to buy back stock or protect their dividend in the face of, maxed out profit margins and stagnating revenue. So that's what's called financial engineering. It's they're just essentially making a dollar of earnings by moving some accounts around and waving a magic wand. And that is not how stock markets um, perform well going into the future. That's usually sort of the end of a cycle when that. Well, John, let me,
1: let me ask you a question, you know, with this corporate credit was basically the stock buybacks many of the biggest blue chip companies are now they went from triple a bond rating to triple B next stop is junk. So let me ask you this. If interest rates go up and those triple B bonds go to junk and the whole national debt goes to ballooned, what's mom and
3: dad going to do? Yeah, they're in big trouble. So what I've, what I've written about in my book Unbounded wealth is I've given strategies for people to, adjust accordingly. So for example, um, I, I based one strategy on what I think are two great philosophers. One is Mike Tyson cause he said everyone has a plan to get punched in the face. Right. I
1: love that. I love that quote. I think it's on, <laughs> it's on our board down here in our offices. I've been punched in the face so many times. That's why I have to hire forensic accountants and attorneys, and the FBI.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, um, they're good forensic accountants there too. Look, we all get punched in the face. It's how how we deal with that, and do we have a plan? And so some of that is investing, um, realizing that we don't know what the future holds, but. Then I also I'm a big advocate also of following trends and making sure that you're positioned right on asset classes that are are moving up and being aware of risk. So as Newton said, an object in motion stays in motion until acted upon by another force. And so um, my own model that I describe in that book, Unbounded Wealth, is that if if but you know what is hitting the fan then you're significantly scaled back in stocks um if everything's you know off to the races and it's and it's doing well and companies are reporting good quality earnings then yeah you're more heavily invested but today well over 90% of companies are using adjusted earnings as opposed to maybe around 70 to 75% a decade ago. And, um, what does that mean? Adjusted earnings? It means that, so BS, yeah, BS. So yeah, okay. <laughs> like not, Buffett, not, not, now I'm clear. So like Warren Buffett says EBITDA, which is earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, depreciation, amortization. He calls that earnings before the bad stuff. Right?
1: Yeah. So, how can Look, you how can you have earnings before our EBITDA? I don't understand that at all. You know.
3: Well, it's just there's a lot of line items between revenue and and earnings that management can use to derive whatever net income they want. A lot of line items and generally accepted accounting principles are gray. It's just a you could drive a bus through it. It's so because a, co- a company's being aggressive does not mean that they're quote unquote fraudulent. They're just being aggressive. Fraudulent to me implies some sort of intent to deceive. They're just, they're using the rules within their, Correct. um, within their best ability to do so to derive whatever earnings it is that they need to report. Cause let's be honest, if you're not hitting your quarterly numbers and pleasing wall street, then your stock's going to get annihilated, especially in an environment like this where we're at highs.
1: What you're saying, John, it's legal to lie to yourself that you're doing well.
3: Yeah, it's legal to lie to Wall Street, to investors, yep. Yep. to, because yep. how does a CFO get paid? Primarily right. through stock options and stock grants and things of that sort. It's, so, it's, like,
1: it's, like, it's like the accountant is you know, the boss asks him, is said, what's one plus two? And the guy says, what do you want it to be?
3: Exact, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> That's right. your world, you know, right? That's the behavior that, that happens. And it happens more prevalent later on in the cycle, which we're clearly later than cycle. Yes. So unfortunately, Mom and pop are the ones that are caught holding the bag. So when Enron blows up, they're the ones that, you know, are the last ones to find out. Yeah, everybody else um, is out.
1: The guys who made the money are gone, long gone. They're on to the next project.
3: Correct, because a company has a theoretical infinite lifespan, right? But a CEO might only be in there for five, six, seven, ten years. CFO, same thing. So their their modus operandi is to make as much money as fast as possible. And the way to do that is to keep the stock price, you know, inflated. So, you know, the most important thing, I think the reason we
1: have you on the show is I think a person has to question what mommy and daddy told them or their financial planner told them. That's, that's really what it is to reexamine that and get your book, you know, unbounded wealth, because if you don't question what you're saying, you're going to probably do
3: what you're thinking. Well, the first thing you could do if you, if you instantly want to double your retirement would be to fire your financial advisor, because (laughs) just, you know, folk, The problem is most people don't know what they're invested in. And I use an example in the book, which is a Maryland bond fund. The problem is that 50% of it was invested in Puerto Rican bonds. And Puerto Rico has a disaster that's been going on for years, billions of dollars uh, even before them the hurricane came but everybody's moving to Puerto Rico now because it's a tax-free haven yeah enjoy <laughs> <laughs> I wish you well I would rather pay a few percent more in tax and, and live somewhere uh, that was a little bit better off financially uh, and if I want nice weather I could just go on a vacation somewhere on the beach for a few days and then come back home but uh, do you know my friend Peter Schiff I, I know who he is I do not yeah. know him personally yes. you
1: know he and I he's always telling me you should you should move to Puerto Rico because it's tax-free it, Peter I don't pay taxes
3: anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, my tax why would I, I move is- to Puerto Rico? Well, Harry's down there. Um,
1: I know that's why I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> you see, John, if you're a real estate guy, you don't have to pay taxes legally, but that as an accountant, that's the biggest loophole there is left. Yep. Appreciation.
3: Uh, um, I'll, I'll spare the trip down to Puerto Rico, but, um, <laughs> Yeah. Listen, you know, the average person is just going to get caught holding the bag. And what I'm trying to do is position them to be independent of external, you know, factors, external forces. And so if you don't know what you're invested in, I mean, that's, that's scary. And so, um, unfortunately a lot of people get sucked into investments that they're not even keen on, on what it's all about.
1: Well, that's what's happening now is everybody's chasing the news. I guess they call them unicorns like Uber and WeWorks those companies are bankrupt and they're investing in them.
3: So a, a good warning sign that we're at the top of the market is the number of billion dollar. And when you're referring to a unicorn, it's a billion dollar valuation company. The number of billion dollar companies that are going public that lose money is enormous right now. And, um, well, either that, at is, or above but, thousand. But so so. But isn't
1: that only because interest rates are so low, they can't get any what they call returns or gains or, Green shoot, what do they call it? Growth.
3: Well, chase certainly, right uh, now. low interest rates promotes greater or excessive risk taking. There's no question about that. We work never came to the markets. If it did, I would have been shorting that as soon as I possibly could. <laughs> it would have been a, a layup gift from God all time opportunity to me. Ma- I mean, it was just, and you want know, to talk about, I mean, they had things in there like community-based EBITDA. And all, one thing you learn as a forensic account is when you've never seen it before, um, you know, really buckle down and try to figure out what's going on there. So when they start naming new financial metrics in 2000, it was things like eyeballs. You basically was the number of people that were- I, I, it. I,
1: Oh God, I just went nuts around 2000. Yeah. We hired this marketing person. And she says, Yeah, we had sixteen million views today. I'm going. How many sales? Huh?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, eyeballs, eyeballs but no sales. Profits, you know. So community based EBITDA, which is what we work was was utilizing, is just a fictitious number. I mean, they just talk about making stuff up. And so yeah, that that's a sign of a late cycle is when billion dollar you know, huge money losers are going public and people clamor for them. Although a lot of them have sank pretty hard after they've gone public. There's been a few exceptions, but but most of them have, have gotten hit pretty hard.
1: So John, let me ask this last question. Sure. If things go up, something comes down, Something. what happens is people chase the up, right? Oh, it's, it's, it's hot, we're chasing Uber right now. Then it mm-hmm. comes down and then they're still chasing that stupid stock. I mean, it's good service, but they're losing
3: billions they will it all the way down. That's the problem. People get sucked into concepts and glossy growth stories. And look, the, ec- the laws of economics will never be repealed. So That's... a company is going to have to generate some sort of stream of cash flows over a period of time discounted to the present to have any valuation. You can't just continue to lose gobs and gobs of money because even though interest rates are low, eventually the market is just going to turn its back on the company with, you know, hat in hand to try to, you know, what that's like, that's like
1: the neighbor who moves in there by the big house and they got the two SUVs and a sports car and six, three kids in the private school. They look good. Yeah. It's, oh, Oh, he's making 600,000 a
3: year I go, He's still broke. That's the Joneses. Don't keep up with the Joneses. I read about that in my book. And unfortunately the average Jones family has $60,000 saved. So if Mr. Jones loses his job or he passes away or something, that family's hosed. They got no ability to maintain their lifestyle, certainly can't retire. And so they're just a mouse on a treadmill and you know, it's a, a very bad ending. It's a horror movie and horror movies usually end pretty badly and that's the situation most Americans are in. unfortunately.
1: John, how big is the horror movie going to be when it comes down?
3: Uh, as I said earlier, it's going to be a doozy. So uh, the, the good thing is there'll be plenty of opportunity to make tons of money, in in the ashes of of the next meltdown. And um, you just gotta be prepared. So you gotta have some dry powder. You've gotta be paying attention to what other people are talking about. And as you said, and what my book is about, is just doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing. And uh, you'll be a lot better off. You know, John, you sound like
1: Mother Teresa to me for some reason.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Catholic, but that's that's probably where it ends.
1: You you and Harry, you know, I think I'll I'll ordain you guys. (laughs) But that's why I listen to Harry, you know, because otherwise I, I get sucked in with the crowd, right? Is that, is that the whole
3: message today? That's the message. You know, be like George Costanza, do the opposite of what you think, and you're going to be a lot better off than, than your neighbor, your friend, the average person, for sure. No right. question about it.
1: Hey, John, thank you. for Say hello to Harry for me. Tell him I, well, I can't it. wait to have another sermon on the buffet table. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'll let him know. Thank you so much for having me John.
1: Okay, thank you. Good luck to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I thank uh, John Del Vecchio author of the book is Unbounded Wealth and he's a friend of the infamous Harry Dent and Harry Dent will be a guest on our program in a few weeks. And Harry really is the guru of forecasting. And that is what he is known for. He's not always right, but he's always controversial. And the reason I like people who are controversial is because the topic of today's talk or rich dad radio show was do exactly the opposite of what everyone else does. And as I'm speaking today, which is in January, 2020, the stock market is an all time high and people are excited. That's the worst time to be excited. That's the time to be looking for the fire exit but people are jumping in saying, say, all right, you know, Trump's going to get reelected and all of this stuff. And for somebody like me who looks at the good news and the bad news, when things are really good, it's going to get bad. So once again, I thank John Del Vecchio. And then an in-house forensic accountant That's somebody who looks for all the lies, cheat and steals, how people rip you off constantly. I have another book that just came out is smoking along the, ways it's called who stole my pension with Ted Sedell. He's also in a, uh, he's an attorney, but he SEC attorney, but he decided it was best to become a whistleblower and blow the whistle on the SEC and wall street. The book is shocking. So ladies and gentlemen, we all know that's crooks and perverts and weirdos and everywhere in the world, including church. I'm not just speaking of the Catholics, the Protestants are just as bad as the Catholics. So are the Buddhists, you know, cause I know, I mean, uh, my sister is a Buddhist not mon- nun, she's not a monk, she's a nun, but she tells me what goes on with those Buddhist monks wearing those orange saffron robes and they're not you know, innocent there. So ladies and gentlemen, we're all human beings. We have a good side, a bad side, a dark side, and a weird side. So that's why I'm very happy to have John Del Vecchio on so we can talk about how do you prepare for what we're doing, but most importantly, don't do what mommy and daddy did. That's the most important thing. So uh, Sarah, Sarah is our, Social media guru here. So, what would you think of what John had to say?
4: Well, it, it reminded me. I think you you tell the story like uh, you were at the cash register at a Sprouts or something, and the re- and she's like, "Oh, here's my card. I'm becoming a real estate agent because everybody was getting into real estate Correct. at the time," and it made me think like when everybody's jumping in, jump it's out. Time to jump out. And yeah. I think that was your point you were making when you were talking about Uber or you know so, you know some of these companies where they're just getting billion dollar valuations we, you know, that would be our time then to say, we're not, we're not touching it amongst correct, other correct. reasons, but that's like, that's, you know, think of visualize mice running towards the sewer.
1: Yep. Yep. Or the lemmings going over the cliff. Exactly. And unfortunately my prediction is, is I'm not as dire, I'm more dire than uh, John Del Vecchio, but not as dire as Harry Dent. But anyway, I think we might be heading for a depression. Mm-hmm. And the idea that while well, we we'll just jump in, when the crash hits we just jump back in, it's going to bounce back up. I don't think that's going to happen. I think when I hit a whole stretch, maybe 10, 20 years of a depression, the question is how long did that last depression last? Lasted 25 years. Yeah. That's how long it lasted.
4: Who did we interview? Um, uh, Doug Casey. He said, we're still in the depression. We never really came out of it. yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it, you always show the chart, the Dow chart, right, and the yep. little blips at yep. each time we've come to a crisis. Yep. I mean, this one is is going to be significant compared biggest to biggest
1: in the history of the world. Right. And this time, the whole world's involved. Yep. I mean, if you're living in Bangladesh, you're going to be affected. I mean, not as badly, of course. You've had nothing to lose. You got nothing to lose. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but if you're rich, you got a lot to lose. Yep. And yep. so. Uh, you know, Sarah and I and uh, the whole company at Rich Dad here, we've been, we are, part of our culture is we value study and we study together. Right. And we're studying fragile and anti-fragile. So the thing here is this, is that, you know, that in schools today, we're teaching kids to be snowflakes, mm-hmm. very fragile. <gasps> Don't trigger me, what else do they say?
4: Uh, I need a safe space yeah. to express my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> They're just easily, you know, everything is offensive. You can't say anything without somebody getting offended.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I just can't believe it. What in the freedom of speech, you know? So, anyway, the reason we study Nazim Taleb's book, um, Anti Fragile, is because there's no definition for, fra- there's no opposite of fragile. Right. Either you're anti fragile or you're fragile. And when you follow the herd today, when you, when things are at all time high, he calls it the everything bubble, stocks, real estate, bonds, artwork, vacation homes, all time highs were more fragile, were not stronger. When they bailed out the banks, they made the banks more fragile. They didn't make them stronger. So, what's your understanding of anti-fragile? We we have these discussions all the time, and we take we take the time to study, right? Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Well, we just had a meeting a couple days ago about it, uh, and then the group, the team, then met yesterday, and we talked a little bit about it. The concept is, I the concept is simple, right? It it, it's basically um, not strong, anti-fragile, right? You're fragile, (laughs) right? A piece of glass. So how we relate it to the team is the stronger, this is where it gets confusing. Yeah. If we're we're each fragile individually, but we become anti-fragile when we come together.
1: Sometimes, yeah. Right,
4: and so I think you'd mention that in the show is the economy is fragile right now. Because it's good. Right.
1: And then if it gets bad, it's gonna get anti-fragile. Right. So it's opposite of the way we think. Mm-hmm. So rich dad today it's the reason we had to hire a you know, forensic accountant, forensic attorney and the FBI to take a look is our company got more fragile. It didn't get stronger. Right. You know? And the other thing about anti-fragile is was when you're really small, you actually get stronger. Right. And so do you feel the company's getting stronger?
4: Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's it's really good. Yeah. You know, and we're talking, you know, one of the other things that we're really we're re- redefining is our culture in yep. our context yep. um, just to become strong, even stronger.
1: Right. Because we had a very fragile culture at Rich Dad here. Yep. If I said anything, I, you, I'm going to sue you.
4: Right.
1: The, the word lawsuit was tossed around this company like it was, you know, McDonald's or something. <laughs> Everybody was living such fear, you know, right. that I'm going to hire my attorney I'm going to sue you. Mm-hmm. That just makes the company more fragile.
4: And I think that it goes to the part we, when we talk about emotional intelligence, right? Everybody, it's the, when you lack emotional intelligence, you're living in fear, you're constantly in a state of fear and that's where we were. Yeah. And when you always say when um, emotions go up, intelligence goes down. And I think that you see that over the last five years or 10 yeah. years that we were headed in the wrong direction.
1: Well, we had a culture that was making us more fragile, not anti-fragile. So the difference is this is that with a human being, a living organism, if you put it under pressure, it gets stronger, Mm -hmm. but if you make it, you know, what, what what makes you stronger sitting at the bar, lifting a Budweiser or sitting in a gym, lifting some barbells, you know, one makes you more fragile right? and one makes you more anti-fragile. I I like chicken wings with my beer, by the way.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And he talks about that in the, in the video that we watched uh, as a group was that things that are organic, are anti-fragile, where things that are manufactured are fragile.
1: Like a washing machine versus a cat or something, <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever this, don't, don't watch the same video, yeah, it was no, a tough one. It's, Everybody it's, came away and said, what the heck was that video?
4: Yeah, but it did talk about bones, like the human bone is meant to break because it, it only comes back stronger. Yep. And so I, that was a good visual for me to kind of right. capture that, right. that lesson.
1: Right, and so a lot of people hang in job security and they're working for a bad company. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. So they're getting more fragile with the company. Like GE is a General Electric is now going to junk junk bonds, junk junk corporate debt. The people are hanging in; they're getting more fragile. Yep. They're not getting better. Yep.
4: And John mentioned that today. They 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 get into Uber, market crashes. They hang on the whole way down. down. <laughs> but worst of, worst
1: of all is people jump in as it's going up. Yeah. where the guys who already made the money are yep. out.
4: Yep. Yep. You know. They're long gone.
1: Yeah. In Singapore, it's called kiasu. Yeah, so it means I don't want to miss out.
4: Mm-hmm. We say FOMO here, fear of missing out. Yeah, FOMO. That's mm-hmm. good, good, yeah. good, good.
1: So that's why this whole program today is about doing exactly the opposite of everybody does. But the reason I'm talking about fragile versus anti-fragile, I like to ask, ask you this question: Is the are the is the organization you work for or the friends you hang out with are they fragile, or anti-fragile? Like when the when the whole thing comes down on them, will they get stronger? Or will they just give up and cry and beg for us, you know, Sanders to, you know, give them some money or, I don't know. What are, what are these guys asking for now? These uh, millennials or so, snowflakes? Oh, they want free education, free healthcare, free food, free, 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 free manicures.
4: Free.
1: <laughs> oh my God.
4: <laughs> and then you have Andrew Yang, who's not only going to make everything free, he's going to give you a thousand dollars. Is that
1: making us, Fragile or anti fragile? That's really, the, you know, that's it's it's only a question you have in your head. Yeah. And if your idiot brother in law is investing in Uber, are you getting more fragile or anti fragile? <laughs> <laughs> and so we're way we at Rich Dad, we're working our culture right now because we never defined it. Right. So my culture is really been a little too extreme as the Marine Corps culture is a little too extreme here. But anyway. The Marine Corps culture was a very, very anti-fragile culture. If somebody calls you a name, you say, thank you, I'm gonna get you later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other way this guy, Nazeem Talib, talks about it, he says, you throw an elephant and a mouse out the window, which one's gonna survive? Yep, it's the mouse. And the mouse will survive. So one of my lessons of what, what I'm talking about with the Rich Dad Company here is that being smaller when this crash comes, it might be better. Would you agree with that? Right.
4: Yep. Yep.
1: Anything, any final words on that?
4: No, I think this is this anti-fragile, fragile concept, um, is interesting. It is, you know, a little bit tough to wrap your mind around, but it, but it, but if you boil it down, it's simple, right? Right. Stay small. You're anti-fragile. The bigger you are, you can be more fragile yeah. and you can apply that concept to so many things. Right. Um, so it's, it's a great lesson. And, uh, recommend everybody looking into it.
1: So, you know, so let me ask this question. I say the same question. I always think about this. What I would rather do is sit at a bar, drink beer and eat chicken wings or go to the gym. One makes me more fragile and yeah. fat. <laughs> <laughs> Another one makes me anti-fragile, but it's not pleasant. Right. And so again, I want to thank John Del Vecchio. I want to thank Sarah for her contribution. And so the topic is do exactly opposite of what everyone else is doing when it comes to investing. The majority of the time, the crowd is wrong, and right now the crowd is at the highest. I think the Dow hit thirty. I don't follow stock it Hit thirty thousand. Oh, yeah,
4: yes. But with this coronavirus now happening, <laughs> we're going to see major drops, I believe. And I'm not even. I am and that's just for my amateur eyes.
1: Right but the point here is more fragile because it's high where people think, Oh, a good stock market. And I know my friend, Donald is doing it so he gets reelected, but it's actually making the U S more fragile. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. That's what's so hard to get around anti-fragile and fragile.
4: Well, I think that's where you get the amateur investors too. They're thinking 30,000 I'm getting in right now. It's going to go up. It's just can't, you know, and they're not thinking what goes up.
1: Going to come down. Exactly. And the other saying as a professional investor that the bull goes up the stairs, which means it goes very slowly, you know, in steps and steps and steps. But when it goes, the bear goes out the window. (laughs) It's like the elephant (laughs) and the mouse who's going to survive, you know, the mouse will survive. So right now do exactly opposite. You may want to check out who your friends are. Are they fragile or anti-fragile? Are they stupid or are they smart? Are they proactive and learning? Are they, you know, are they, are they getting stronger? Are they working out? Are they getting fatter? I mean, really? That's kind of the question right now. Yep. Good. So I want to thank again John Del Vecchio. Thanks, Sarah. to do exactly the opposite of what everyone else is doing. He's the John Del Vecchio's author book of Unbuilded Wealth. It's a book dedicated to mom and pop investor. He lays out twelve simple steps how to break free of the man and live life on your own terms. And the man right now is big, fat and stupid and ready to start coming down. But they've already sucked all the cash out. Again, thank you all for listening to the Rich Dad Radio Show. And again, uh, Harry Dent will be, you know, my friend Harry Dent will be on soon. Thank you very much.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.